Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode. Today, instead of a guest, I've selected three articles from the EvolveMembers.com blog that have caught my eye over the past few months. These article reviews are something I like to do so often because we get some great insights that actually deserve a deeper dive. And part of Evolve's mission is to both inform and challenge your perspectives through the content that we provide. The articles I'm going to go through with you today are Why Entrepreneurship is Simply a Quest for Purpose. 13 ideas of leadership you may not have heard, and the importance of belonging. So let's get started. Why Entrepreneurship is Simply a Quest for Purpose was written by our very own content man, Oliver Roberts. In the article, Oliver looks at the TEDx talk by Mark Lester, a UK-based entrepreneur, mentor, and founder of The Unconventionists which is a podcast that looks at entrepreneurs, leaders and thinkers who dare to do things differently as well as what it means to run a purpose-driven business. Mark's TEDx talk, which is available on YouTube, is entitled What They Don't Tell You About Entrepreneurship. In it, he takes a humorous and at the same time brutal honest look at what it takes to be an entrepreneur. Mark starts by somewhat ironically recounting the daily routine of an entrepreneur, bouncing excitedly out of bed at 5am, doing an hour of power yoga, followed by the obligatory cold shower. After that, it's a podcast with a green smoothie to wash it all down, and then it's on to a hyper-productive day. Of course, anyone listening to this podcast knows this impression could be not further from the truth. And this is the point that, Mark, being an entrepreneur, it means that it is not all about money, freedom, and the ability to go on holiday whenever you want. In fact, it rarely entails any of those things. Mark asked the audience, when did it become cool to run a business? I don't know about you, but I don't feel cool. Most of the time, I feel lonely. I worry, I stress about money on a daily basis. This was not so much part of the plan. This sense of loneliness is something I've experienced and continue to experience as a business owner myself, and I'm sure is something you can all well identify with yourselves. And what do most of us do about loneliness? This worry and sense of responsibility that comes with running a business, and basically being responsible for other people's mortgages, we keep quiet about it. As Mark points out, most entrepreneurs are afraid of admitting to friends and family when they're feeling vulnerable or that they're losing control. We worry it's a sign of weakness. Mark says this is the entrepreneur's dirty little secret, 
And it's a scenario I've seen play out far too often, whether through my own journey or someone else's. The good thing is I think there is a lot more encouragement and support out there than there was just, say, five years ago. I think business owners are increasingly aware of the negative impact that keeping things bottled up can have on their personal and also their professional lives, both emotionally and physically. There's more support out there and a greater willingness to open up, and this can only be a good thing. So Oliver writes, Considering this, considering that starting and running your own business is one of the toughest things you'll ever do, that 8 out of 10 businesses fell within the first 18 months, and that studies have linked entrepreneurship to mental health issues, why do people do it? In a word, purpose. In his talk, Mark refers to a study which found that lacking a sense of purpose in our lives makes us more susceptible to anxiety, boredom and depression. And that all of us as humans, to some degree or another, have a desire to find that purpose and pursue it. I believe that, in the end, this quest for purpose is one of the few truly meaningful things we can do in life, and it's certainly one of the paths to achieving a greater sense of fulfilment. However, where people can go wrong with this is comparing what they deem to be purposeful and meaning to what others do or society do at large. And as well as we all know, the majority of people in certainly Western society equate finding and achieving your purpose with making money. This is, of course, a mistake. That's not to say you shouldn't and want to be able to support yourself and become financially secure through your purpose, but it shouldn't be the main driver. This is why I'm a firm believer in the idea that when you focus purely on the money, the money doesn't come. It's when you refocus on the reasons you started your business in the first place that those original founding principles come into play and that's when true success becomes clearer again. In his talk, Mark says, I've spoken to hundreds of people who have started their quests and what I've learned to those quests come in all shapes and sizes. Quests are not measured by how impactful they are but rather how it makes you feel when you think about them and actively pursue them. A quest is something that grabs at your curiosity even when you don't want to do it. What a great summary. Oliver then adds on to this thought with the following statement. This yearning for a quest is why so many people start a business. They think it's the only way to gain a sense of freedom, adventure and purpose. This successful entrepreneur or business owner can undoubtedly attest to this, but of course, this isn't the case for everyone. Entrepreneurship is merely one way of defining your life's quest. So I'll conclude by asking you whether being an entrepreneur is truly fulfilling your quest. And even if it is, are there other things apart from running a business that fulfill you and benefit you? Are you spending enough time doing these things and the other things you enjoy and love in life? The second article I'm going to have a look at today was written by Chris Croft, who is one of the UK's leading business trainers and a regular contributor to our blog. Like myself, Chris has a deep interest in the subject of leadership and the complex social dynamics of leading a team of people. In his article entitled 13 Ideas on Leadership You May Not Have Heard, Chris gives his take on what he believes are some of the key elements of successful leadership. Chris starts this article by stating that leadership is not all common sense and that as a result it's a good idea to train your managers on the art of leadership and even go on a course yourself if you feel like you need it. 
I feel like this introduction alone is is worth a whole other discussion on the dangers of promoting people into positions of leadership without being totally sure of their leadership credentials. Because it's a very easy mistake to make, thinking a member of the team who's performing and over-delivering in their role will naturally step up to that leadership role if you promote them. Of course, this isn't the case. Leadership and management is a skill just like any other, and though it comes with more naturally to some than others, if you do not spot a leadership potential in a member of your team, as Chris advises, it's always worth training them first before putting them in that position. Anyway, I digress. Here are Chris's 13 ideas on leadership. Number one is everything is management's fault. Chris writes, either you know about it and it's your fault for not fixing it, or you don't know about it and it's your fault for not knowing. If it's a person that's not competent, it's your fault. If it's a person that's not motivated, it's your fault. And if it's a system that's not good enough, guess what? It's your fault. Now, what Chris is getting at here is whether you're a manager or founder or the CEO, if you're in a position of leadership, you must be prepared to take accountability for everything. Whether it's always fair or not is another matter. But the point is that when things go wrong within an organisation, it's the leader who everyone looks to first. That makes it a really tough gig. But this is why it takes a very specific individual to be at the helm and to lead an organisation. Number two is it's good sign if nothing changes when the boss is on holiday. Chris writes, If the people are right and the systems are right, you can leave them to it for a while. But not too long since things gradually get out of date. If they can't cope without you, then you're either a control freak or they're not up to their jobs. This point ties nicely into both Chris's number three and four, which are delegation is not risky and tell and delegate look almost the same. All three of these points are really about the importance of delegation. And honestly, I feel that delegating is one of the hardest things to get right as a business owner. It's something that I've really struggled with over the years, particularly in the early years of my businesses. Firstly, and most obviously, it's difficult because for better or worse as entrepreneurs, we're naturally control freaks, and many of us find it difficult to relinquish responsibility and control over something we're so passionate about and we've built in the early days on our own. But of course, you simply cannot do everything, so at some point in time, you have to accept you're going to have to delegate. The second challenge of delegation is finding the right people to fill those spots for you. You need to have full confidence in their competence and totally trust that they'll get the job done with little to none of your input. Believe me when I say this, this isn't easy. And it's not easily achievable. And mostly, it has to be a process of trial and error. Number five and six are also messages around delegation, which really highlights what a major component of good leadership this is. Chris says that you shouldn't tell competent people how to do something, even if you know. And that you should delegate when they're at 80%. In Chris's words, if you wait for them to be at 100% before you give them stuff, you'll wait forever because in your mind, they're never going to be as good as you. And the only way they can get there is by doing it themselves and learning. You have to watch them do it at only 80% as well as you and suck it up. Number seven is actually quite an interesting one. Chris says you shouldn't give jobs to the people who can best do them. 
On the surface, I'm not sure I agree with this and it doesn't make sense. But Chris's point is that even though giving the job to the most suitable person will get it done quicker and cheaper, the said person will be bored because they're simply not being challenged. Chris's advice is to give the job to the next best person. Chris's eighth point is that criticism is 10 times as strong as praise. He writes, if you give out 50-50, you end up with very demotivated people. It needs to be in the ratio of 1 to 10, even to stay level, and ideally 1 to 100 on 1 to 0. It's just an interesting thought, isn't it, that criticism is 10 times as strong as praise. Which leads us on to the next point, which is that insecurity doesn't motivate people. In other words, don't say a phrase like, nobody's indispensable, because all that's going to do is make everyone feel like they're not valued, and this is, of course is no way to create a strong and loyal team. This philosophy flows nicely into the next point on leadership, which is around remembering to thank everyone in your team. On this, Chris remarks, a good boss thanks everyone in their team individually for something tangible that they have done every week on average. That's every week, thank every person. Number 11 on this list is information in and information out. And on this subject, Chris writes, people who are not competent are motivated by learning and being coached. Well, people who are already competent are motivated by being asked and being involved. All you have to do is work out which person is which in each situation. Who are those who are not yet competent? And who are those who are already competent and treat them differently in your styles of leadership? I thought number 12 is very important. Good people need looking after too. On this, Chris makes this crucial point that it's all too easy to focus your efforts on the less motivated people in your team at the expense of taking your top performance for granted. Remember that even if your star players have initiative and don't need monitoring and are happy to get on with their work without acknowledgement, it doesn't mean they don't require that ever-important thank you or some input and feedback, as well as giving them some challenging tasks to keep them motivated. And just think about your organisation. Where do you spend your time? Do you spend your time with the core of your team? Or do you spend your time with the top 10%? How much of your attention do they really get? I bet it's that bottom piece, those non-performers that really get your attention. And I think this is a really good point that Chris made about getting balance across the team. Chris's last point is, think about involvement in planning and freedom in doing. And on this he writes, for each person and situation, independently you have a choice about how much you involve them in the planning. Do you tell, consult, share or delegate? And then when they carry out the work, do they have to check before, report after or are they free to just to get on with it? I think this last point sums up all of the others well. And that in the end, good leadership boils down to understanding what motivates each individual team member so you can get the best out of them, while also showing trust and confidence in their abilities, but largely giving them the freedom to take charge of their work and become their own leaders. The third and final article for review today is entitled The Importance of Belonging and it's written by former England's Rugby Sevens captain Ollie Phillips who now runs a team building and leadership skills company called Optimist Performance. 
Ollie begins this article with this. How do you feel about your sense of belonging at work? Do you feel like you're a member of a group? Is a lack of belonging affecting your health? Quite thought-provoking questions in my opinion. He states that a lack of belonging can lead to all sorts of mental health and behavioural problems and this is just in society at large. Not having a sense of belonging within an organisation can be equally isolating and lead to discourse and disruption. Ollie makes the point that within remote working and if remote working is set to stay, now is more important a time than ever to evaluate your team's sense of belonging and nurture it to make sure everyone feels part of something even if they're not always physically present. Ollie gets into the article by asking the simple question, why do humans need a sense of belonging? He writes, Belonging is not only a want, but a necessity. A recent MIT study discovered that we can crave relationships in the same brain region that we crave food, and that we experience social isolation in the same brain area that we experience physical pain. A lack of sense of belonging at work can also lead people to job dissatisfaction and health problems, and it's a strong predictor of depression. We define a sense of belonging as that feeling of connectedness to a group or community. It's that sense that you're part of something, you feel attached, close and thoroughly accepted by your people. So how do you go about ensuring that sense of belonging is within your company and organisation. Ollie looks at this in eight ways. Firstly, create opportunities for people to connect. This can be a simple thing such as regular after-work drinks or something more significant like a team-building day. Remember that even though your team might spend a lot of time together at work, very little of that time is spent actually getting to know each other personally. By getting everyone out of the office and into a new environment, that encourages openness and more personal connectedness, which will do wonders for team spirit. Second, Ollie suggests setting up a mentoring programme within your business or organisation to guide new team members and make them feel more welcome, as well as encourage those who have a harder time opening up and making connections to come out of their shell. Third is to foster alliances, and by this, Ollie means connecting two people within your team who you've recognised share similar values, interests and goals. He cites a study that shows having even one ally inside of a group goes a long way to enhancing a sense of belonging. Number four is to ask about people's views on what they would do to foster a greater sense of belonging. I feel this suggestion relates to some of Chris Croft's leadership points around delegation and involving everyone in decision making. It's a brilliant method for empowering your team and making everyone feel included. For number five, Ollie writes about creating psychological safety. He says it's critical to create an environment where people feel safe and can be themselves. A sense of belonging is based on acceptance and support and it would be challenging to feel accepted if the environment doesn't allow you to be yourself. On this, I would say be super aware of the environment and culture that you create within your business. Does it feel friendly and open? Is there encouragement for people to be able to approach you with any problems they may have? Number six, again, goes along nicely with some of Chris Cross thoughts in that it's around allowing freedom and autonomy within your team. Nobody likes to be micromanaged and as much as feeling part of a community 
is very motivating. People don't like feeling that you're losing their sense of individuality or being grouped together as one thing. It's a great skill to be able to look at and lead your team as both a cohesive entity as in as well as one that's made of many parts. Ollie's seventh method for installing a solid sense of belonging is to practice recognition and appreciation. He writes, Being able to express one's thoughts and feelings respected, as well as being appreciated, are crucial parts of experiencing a sense of belonging. As a company leader, you must ensure that your employees are at ease with one another and with the organisation as a whole. The eighth and final point is to reimagine the recruitment process. This is all about understanding and it's better to employing people who feel that you'll fit in with the rest of the team, even if they aren't as professionally qualified as another candidate. Personally, this has always been my approach. When I first meet a candidate, I'm generally more interested in who they are as people, what are their values, and whether they're practically able to fit in with our team. And what's their personality type? Will it gel with the rest of the team? And if it's a split decision, then always go, in my opinion, with your intuition and make no compromises, even in this tough recruitment market, which is a really difficult thing to say, I know. And so I'd like to end this episode by asking you what you're doing to ensure that sense of belonging within your own business. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.